The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. You'll take your copies of God's Word and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Children, you can be dismissed if you desire, you and your parents desire to participate in the children's worship. Just go to my left, at your right, and they'll meet you there, take you to the worship center for a wonderful time of teaching and fellowship in God's Word together. The rest of you, if you'll go to Hebrews chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to use the Pew Bible. It's there for you. If you don't yet have a Bible, you can take that home. Visitor, Cindy and I look forward to greeting you at the back. And then the greeting time, if you've got that Bible and taking it home and you want a little Bible study guide, I've got one to give you. It's kind of a Christianity 101 Bible study. And we'd love to give that to you for you to take home um, and and have. Would you look with me into God's Word? uh, And and let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. Go with me to verse 5, would you? This is the word of God, inspired, inerrant, and infallible, that is read in your hearing. For For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him? You made him for a little while, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control at present. We do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not, for, for it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. There is a distinct phrase in the Bible that I am sure when you hear it read, you think this. At least I do, and my guess is you do. What is that phrase? Every time I hear this, that Jesus will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. My heart (laughs) skips. Oh, Lord, could I somehow, I know I'll never be a profitable servant, but could I hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. My guess is you feel the same thing. You sense the same thing. Our Lord has sent you into this world as ambassadors of Christ. He has called you to give praise to his name. He has called you to serve him. He has given you this mission in life that Christ is all and in all. And you want to live that life that way. In fact, I want to preach all next year on this. Life is the stewardship for Christ. But having said that, having said that, I think churches ought to be the same thing. That a church wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Another way to say it would be this way, mission accomplished. Well, what is that mission? And that's something I have uh, just poured my heart out. I'm going to pour, well, pour it out at least one more time in this fall series uh, next Lord's Day as we come to communion service. But I've just tried to do it time and time again. And there's a reason why I don't want Christ's church in general. And of course, Briarwood in particular, I don't want us to be guilty of mission drift. I don't want to let the I don't want the pressures of the culture and the idea of relevance. I don't want it to get us off our mission. I want us to stay on mission, on message and in ministry. And it's very clear. Here's what Jesus said. As the father sent me now, I send you the father sent him to seek and to save the lost. That's what our mission is. He puts it very succinctly in passages that we're all familiar with. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the days, always, even to the end of the age. That's our mission. Preaching the gospel to all the nations evangelizing and discipling. God's given us that. That's what our mission is. And I want us to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That was your mission. Your mission wasn't to, your mission was, that was your mission that I gave you, and you didn't drift from it. You weren't distracted from it. You stayed on that mission. And I've given you the message. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ Embedded in the whole counsel of God. Teach, remember, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So your own mission of evangelism and discipleship 
your own message. And that means you are in ministry. And there are four ministries that I've given to you to accomplish the mission. The ministry of upreach, worship. The ministry, that's our ministry to God. Worship, upreach. The ministry of outreach, that's evangelism. That's your ministry to the world. The ministry of inreach, that's loving one another. The ministry of downreach, that's growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, being discipled and discipling. That's what I've given you to do. Stay on mission. Now, to try to help this, to try to stay on mission, what we've attempted to do is to go back to something that's really already rooted and embedded in our history and develop a discipleship curriculum that goes to foundational issues. Now, there are a lot of sophisticated dynamics in discipleship. But you don't want to build on the intricacies of a superstructure without putting down the right foundations. So what we said is let's go to God's word and what are the five foundational elements of discipleship. And we'll take each one of those, develop them into about eight, ten, twelve weeks of curriculum. And so that we can get disciplers with people in congregational communities, small groups, men's ministry, women's ministry. And make sure that before we try to build a superstructure of how my family lives, how I do work, how I do that, I start at the bottom and we make sure that those are in place. So we said, what's the first one? Well, you've got to have sound doctrine and sound words. So we said, let's get a let's make sure we understand Christianity 101. You might call it Apostles Creed Christianity. What is the gospel? That foundational dynamic upon which all the rest of the doctrines depend upon. And then we'll move from that to how do you grow day by day? The Bible calls those the disciplines of grace. The public and private disciplines of grace are the means of grace and growth, spiritual disciplines. Then what do you then that that means when you when you've got that basic understanding of God's word as you're moving forward in the whole counsel of God, you've got the means of grace in place. This is the way I'm spiritually nurtured and grow privately and publicly in the means of grace. Now, what does that lead to that leads to living a life of stewardship Everything that I am and have, all my resources, responsibilities, and relationships, how can I steward them for the Lord? That's where that well-done, good, and faithful servant comes in. And then we've got to get to this evangelism. So our fourth element was everyone evangelizing everybody, every day, everywhere. That we want to be saturation evangelists for Christ. That's where we were last week. Now this week we come to the fifth element. This is the capstone. This is the foundation stone. True worship. This is why God made us. To the praise of his glory. This is why God saves us. To the praise of not only his glory, but now to the praise of his glorious grace. This is why God gave you that heartbeat you feel right now. That breath you're breathing. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
Why did God create you? To worship. Why did God save you? To worship. Why does God sustain you? To worship Him. Y'all are all familiar. This is where I got the title from, True Worship and True Worshippers. I got it right out of that John 4 text where Jesus is evangelizing the woman at the well. We'll go into it. We refer to it. Uh, we've referred to it before many times. But in it, the woman is asking this interesting question. After Jesus showed her her sin, she went to this question about worship. Now, what she should have gone to was confession of sin. Jesus, against thee and thee only, I have sinned. And, and you have pointed out my sin. Thank you. But that's not where she went. She did go to something that Jesus went ahead and answered. You people say that we have to worship in Jerusalem. Our people say at this mountain, where do you give God worship? And Jesus said, the new covenant has come. The hour is coming and now is where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And what Jesus is saying is this, that old covenant was where you worship in order to use externals to teach you of the essence of worship. Now the fulfillment has come, the new covenant, and worship is not defined by the externals, but by the internal. Spiritual worship. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And he says it twice. And two times he says the Father seeks worshipers. That's the only thing I know of in the Bible that it says the Lord seeks. True worshipers. And to be a true worshiper, I've got to give true worship. And if there's true worship, that tells me there's what? This isn't hard. Come on. False worship. There's false worship. And I don't want to be a false worshiper. That means I don't want to give false worship. Well, what is true worship? It's not in the new covenant. It's not defined by where. It's defined by who, what, how, and whom. Who do you worship? You see, I know that everybody to here today, everybody I meet, the people I talk to on the plane coming back from Philadelphia on Saturday, the people that I met at restaurants and the people I met in other places last, I know everybody I meet worship. They were made to worship and they will worship. That is not a question. The question is who are they worshiping? Is it true worship? And the first point of true worship is who? It must be God. You don't worship worship. That's one of the big mistakes being made right now in the contemporary evangelical church is, they, is that we are worshiping worship. We worship God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who do you worship? Then you move from who you worship to how you worship, inside out. Bless the Lord. You worship in spirit. That part of you that was made in the image of God that requires the work of the Holy Spirit to enliven, that which was dead, your spiritual death, is brought to life for saving grace, and that is shown up in worship. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Worship Him. From the inside out, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. 
bless his holy name. It isn't where. It's who. That's what you just did. I'm, now, let me confess to you. I put. A, I know some of you were sitting there. I know because we stood a little bit longer maybe. And you said, man, that's a long confession this week. Well, I dropped two paragraphs. And I commend you to go read them. Go read the chapter on worship in the Westminster Confession. It is glorious. And in it they tell you in this new covenant, it's not where. It can take place in your family worship. It can take place in your home. It can take place in your secret closet when you shut the door. It can take place outside. It can take place inside. And it takes place in the public assembly of God's people, which is not to be neglected, not to be forsaken. And this is what it is. Who do you worship? What do you do in worship? And it's not imagination. We do not get together on Monday and pray about worship and say, wonder what we'll do this Sunday. We know what we'll do this Sunday. From the moment Hunter strikes those three chimes declaring Father, Son, and Holy Spirit until the time I say and all God's people said to the benediction, everything that's done in that span of time has been directly, proactively, commanded by the Lord. Now, he doesn't tell us the order. He doesn't tell us how much time give to each one, but he tells us what to do. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of the Scriptures and the prayer. It is absolutely astounding to me how much the reading of Scriptures has been absented from contemporary worship. Give attention to the public reading of the Scriptures and the exhortation from them. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. Bring that which you have set aside on the first day of the week, the Lord's day, to worship Him with His tithe and His offerings. Bring it into the storehouse. Confessing our sins to one another. Make the common confession of truth. All of those things are directly commanded from the Lord. So what we do in worship is not what we are to go think up. What can we be in imagination? No, we do not make images. We go from what God has said. Worship in spirit and in truth. Thy word is truth. God's word tells us who we're worshiping. God's t word tells us what that God says to do when we worship it. And then that for the Christian thrills their heart. I'm doing what my father wants me to do, calls me to do. Now, from my soul, bless his holy name. With nothing held back, with all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then I know something else. The true worship is what gives vent to everyday worship. Gathered worship is the thermostat that sets the temperature for daily worship. It's what is at the core of it. So the true worship given by true worshipers is then moved forward. That word for worship, by the way, is the word latria. The wrong worship, false worship, is called idolatria. Idolatry. 
Right worship is God-centered, God-invested, God-dwelt, God-focused, God-exalting. God is in the midst of the people. We don't have a worship service for evangelism. That's a consequence of worship. We don't have a worship service to instruct you. That's a consequence of worship. We have a worship service to bless the name of the Lord. That He will be high, exalted, and lifted up. The consequences are lost people get saved. God's saved people get instructed and equipped and encouraged. We, the consequences, we get blessed, but we gather to bless His name. That's what God calls us to give and to do in those very moments. And so these Hebrews, you can see this writer of Hebrews, he's really concerned for them today because they're looking. They remember the temple and they remember the sacrifices and the pomp and the ceremony and the circumstances. And now where do we find ourselves in houses? And where do we find ourselves? We don't have that pomp and circumstance. Yes, it's to be done in reverence. Not morbidity, reverence. Yes, it's to be done with joy, not triviality, but joy. And you see it so much when God, only God's Spirit can do both of those at the same time. Reverence. I mean, when you see a worship service in heaven, even the inanimate objects of the thresholds have got enough sense to tremble in the presence of God. Yet the angels are overflowing with joy. And so we long to have that worship. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, this Christian life, guys, quit looking back there to the shadows. Quit looking back there to the types. Quit looking back to Moses, Aaron, David. Quit looking back there. Don't look back there. The fulfillment has come. No longer the symbols. Now you got the substance. No longer the prophecy. Now you got the prophesied one. No longer the types. Now you've got the one they typify. No longer, no longer Moses. You've got one greater than Moses. No longer David. You got a greater king. You got a greater prophet. You got a greater king. You got a greater priest. You've got a greater. The, the old has passed away. The new has come. The old was foundational. The new has now come. And that's where you are. You've got Jesus. Therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. There's where you fix yourself, right there on him. And in this second chapter, in these chapters, he says, not Moses, first prophet, Jesus, the greater prophet. Not David, the king, Jesus, the greater king. Not, not the Levites, now you got Jesus, the great high priest. And then he brings us here to this matter of worship. And he tells us what Jesus has done to bring new covenant worship. Who? God. What? According to truth. How? From the soul and the spirit. Whom brings this worship? Who are the true worshipers? They're those that Jesus has bought and brought and will present to his father. That's who they are. 
And he gives us an insight that I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be able to do justice to in these 14 minutes. I just don't have the power to do justice to it. But I'm going to pray the Lord perhaps will do beyond what I could imagine or think. The passage I read to you has seven affirmations that will, if understood, will change your Lord's Day worship. And then through that, change your daily lifestyle of worship. Here's what they are. Let me give you the first one. The first thing he tells you about this Jesus, this one that you fix your eyes on, he tells you he came to us. That's the first thing it tells you. Christ came to us. For us, Christ came to us. Christ took upon himself humanity. Now, Christ had already come in the old covenant. We call those Christophanies, but they were appearances of Christ. Now, Christ has not only come to us. Let me give you the second thing. Christ has become one of us. He bears a glorified human body forever. And it all began 2,000 years ago, Emmanuel, God with us. God came to us. You know, we're going to be coming over here and standing over here in just a couple of weeks are going to be the Advent readings. And you know what we're going to keep saying? Jesus has come. The angels said he was coming. The prophets said he was coming. The prophecies said he was coming. The types, the symbols, everything in that Old Testament said that he was coming. And now Christ has come to us. Christ has come to be among us. He has humbled himself by taking upon himself humanity. So he has now not only come to us, he has become one of. Why did he come to us? To become one of us. Why did he become one of us? To Here's why he became one of us. By a man came death. By a man comes the resurrection of the dead. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. His deity is not lost. It's not set aside. He is the son of God, but he is now humbled by taking upon himself humanity. Christ has come to us. Christ has become one of us. Emmanuel, God is now with us. He is one of us. Why? Here's your third one. He has come to save us. He has come to take our place. Oh, covenant, yes. You remember the sacrifices. Remember Yom Kippur. Remember the bleeding of the lambs. Remember lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb. Hundreds and thousands throughout that day are slain. And the all of the blood and all of the gore and all of it was there. And the Kidron brook outside the temple was running red. All of that was happening. And yet it was being done by priests. Who needed their own sacrifice. And it was being done in multiples and hundreds and thousands and thousands. And then they'd be back the next year to do it all over again. And it's shouting, the wages of sin is death. 
somebody's got to die. And for you to be saved, somebody's got to die in your place. But the blood of bulls and goats and lambs can't do it. And the priests that are doing it need their own sacrifice. But now Jesus has come. He is the mediator. He can not only bring the sacrifice of the Lamb once and for all. He is the Lamb. He not only has come to us, He has become one of us. He has died for us to make... Don't you love that phrase? I'm so glad the ESV people did not dumb this one down. To be... A propitiation for us. That means a satisfactory sacrifice. And because it's satisfactory, the Lamb could say, It's finished. And the writer of Hebrews can say, Forget Yom Kippur. It did its job. It told you what was needed. Now the job has been done. Worthy is the Lamb to open the seals and unfold the scroll of our salvation. Christ comes, has come to us. Christ became one of us. Christ has saved us. Now watch, I've changed. I've, if because of the text, I have changed the tense. Here's the fourth one. Christ gathers us. What does he do with those whom he saved? He gathers us. Christ came to us. Christ became one of us. Christ saves us. Now Christ gathers those whom he saves. He gathers us together. And folks, don't miss this, please. There's much you can say about the people of God. We're an army, we're the body, we're a field, we're a temple, all of those things. But it's unmistakable what's being said here. Christ gathers his children, his sons, and he brings them to the Father. Go, go to that Hebrews 2 text with me. Let's see what he says in verse 12. This is why he is not ashamed to call them what? Brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. Go down to verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He has gathered the family. We are family. We're brothers and sisters. Now listen. You, you can choose your friends. But you don't choose your family. God gives you your family. That's true in your own family, and that's true in the family of God. God has gathered his family. You're one of them. We are brothers and sisters. Every Lord's Day is family reunion. Every Lord's Day is Thanksgiving Day. Every Lord's Day is the gathering of the people of God by the Savior. When I stand up, here's what I'm trying to say to you. When I stand up and give the invocation, when I give the call to worship, 
It's not me. It's Jesus. By his spirit and his word. I will gather my family. I didn't call you. Briarwood session didn't call you. We were just being obedient to what Christ said for us to do. It's Jesus that calls you to worship. Some of us many times are not even here to hear him. But it's Jesus that calls you. It is the Savior who cries out, come, let us worship. I'm calling my family together. Cindy and I, there's one program that we, um, we uh, what do you call it, record? We record somehow. I don't know how we do it. There's some red button that you push, and we get it. But, and there's only one, so I can't hardly mess it up if I get help. And it's Blue Bloods. You know what I do? I love it. I love it. Every Sunday, I can quote um, Mr. Blue Blood. Every Sunday, the family sits at this table, undistracted. Leave your iPhones. Our family sits at this table after church every Sunday at 2 o'clock. What God says is Jesus calls you to sit with him at the banquet of grace to feast upon him in worship every Lord's Day. Undistracted. His family gathers at his call and command. Come and worship into the presence of the Lord. Then what does he do? He leads us. Look at what it says. I will tell of your name to my brothers. I will tell of the name of my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. You know, some young, some young ministers asked me the other day, Pastor, can we ask you a question? He said, sure. They said, who, do, who, who are the liturgists? Who are the worship leaders at Briarwood in a worship service? Now, if they were to come and ask you that question, what would you answer? Can I tell you what I think you'd probably answer uh, up until this morning? You would have probably said, oh, Bruce Stallings, Mr. Bruce Stallings, Pastor Reeder and um, Reverend John Haynes, they lead us. They're our worship leaders and they're supported by a choir and a praise team and an organist and this and that. But they're leading us in worship. Don't ever say it again. Jesus leads us in worship. He not only, Zephaniah 3, he not only sings over us, he sings with us. And he leads us in our singing of his praise. I'm very dependent, since I'm not very musical, I'm very dependent upon a worship leader to instruct me, to inspire me, to kind of do something that lets me know it's okay for me to open my mouth at that moment. Um, I'm very grateful for that. So I'm grateful that God does this through human beings. But it's not them. It's Jesus by the Holy Spirit with his word. Who is leading us in worship.
He is our liturgist, the worship leader at the divine service of worship on the Lord's Day. Is the one who came for you. The one who became one of us. The one who saved you at the cross. The one who gathers you. He now leads you in praise of the Father. Fifthly, oh yeah, that was fifthly. Sixthly, Christ speaks to us. Notice what he says. I will tell your name to my brothers in the preaching of the majesty of God's glory from his word. It's not the preacher that preaches. It's Christ himself. This is why the Apostle Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter one, he says, what? What does he say? He says, I am glad you received my word as the word of God, because that's what it is, not the word of man. Just like this Bible, God uses human authors to speak his word. God uses worship leaders for Jesus himself to lead you. And God uses preachers for Jesus himself to speak to you. That's why it says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him Whom they have not heard. How shall they hear him without a preacher? That's why we used to wear the black gowns is blocking the preacher out. It's not the foolishness of the preacher that you're being saved. It's the foolishness of the message preached. Whereby Christ himself speaks to your heart. And my sheep know my voice and they follow me. That's the glorious moment when Christ himself speaks to the hearts of his people. And then notice I've changed tense once more. Christ will present us. Christ will present us. Did you see that last? I mean, that verse that I read down in verse 14, be uh, 13, the end of it. See what he's doing. He's quoting Isaiah. He's telling you this is what the Old Testament was all about. It was about Jesus. And he's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting the psalmist. And here he says, behold, behold, this is Jesus speaking. Behold, I and the children God has given me. He will present us who now watch who will he present? He will present those whom he has gathered and led and spoken to. Who will he gather, lead and speak to? Those he came to be one of, to save on the cross. The children of Abraham, not by the circumcision of the flesh, but by the circumcision of the heart. His people, all, Jesus is saying, all whom you've given me, I lose not one. Here they are. Who are they? They're the elect of God. How do you see them? You can see them on the Lord's day. They gather at his call. They're led by worship. He speaks to them because he has saved them. That's what he does. And that's how gloriously he does it. Then the last thing he does is he presents them to the father. So let me give you the takeaway. Here it is. This and every Lord's Day, as we assemble, 
for the service of divine worship. Here's your takeaway from this text. This Lord's Day and every Lord's Day, when we assemble for the service of divine worship, it is Christ himself by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit who calls you to worship. He gathers you. And he gathers you as a family. And he gathers you to lead you. He gathers you to lead you in worship. He's the liturgist. Jesus, Jesus is our worship leader. Then he speaks to us through his word. And then on that glorious day, he will present us to the Father. When Cindy and I were praying 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago now, as to whether God was calling us to Birmingham, there were a lot of things we were trying to do. And there were some things that weren't all that important, but yet they were on our heart. There's about four or five of them. And one of them was this. All my family now had been raised in Charlotte where we had planted Christ's covenant. All my family was there. My children were there. And I figured that's where my children are going to be. So I said to Cindy, if God calls us there, now you know what that means. That means we'll get to see our children and grandchildren maybe a couple of times a year. And, um, and we prayed about it, and I figured Grandmama, I'd do that call in. But she was the first one. And here's what we knew. It may be our immediate family would not be as accessible, but when we get there, we'll have family. This is our family. My brothers and sisters, whom Jesus saved, given to him by the Father. This is our family. Now, little did I know my children and grandchildren would end up here. <laughs> you know, the boomers do raise the boomerangs. Praise the Lord. And on top of that, my sister and husband and children and their children. So praise the Lord for all of that blessing. But we had no idea that would happen. But we knew we would still have family. It's God's family. Our brothers and sisters, and every Lord's Day we'd have family reunion. For those who are gathered by His voice. For those who want to be led by Jesus, the worship leader. For those who want to hear Him through the inadequate but committed preaching of his word. Folks, there's coming a day that I can't wait. I can't wait to that glorious day. <laughs> As the spiritual says, that great getting up morning. And on that day, there's going to be a loud voice and a trumpet. And his people are going to hear that voice. And he's going to gather them into the eternal worship service. Who are the people who will hear that trumpet and hear that voice? He says, I'll tell you who they are. You can see them every Lord's Day. They come to hear my voice and trumpet my praises. That's how you know. Now, you can come to a church and worship service and not be saved. But what he's telling you, those that I came for. Those that I died for, those that I saved, I gather them. I lead them in worship. 
I speak to them in worship. And then one day I'll present them. You know, we pray about this all when we have guest speakers, you know, uh, how can we properly present this guest preacher to this congregation? Or maybe you've been places where you were called to introduce somebody. How can I properly present them? You know, I get that. How can I present to the world in evangelism? See, because that's what happens. When you get a hold of this worship, you'll start worshiping him by proclaiming his name every day in evangelism. That feeds it. This is thermostat worship. That's what it does. And so I want to present Jesus rightly. I mean, how many times I think, I mean, I know this. I've just been on the plane so many times recently. But I think about when I get on a plane and I get so irritated. I can give you so many things I got irritated about. And then I remember two things. I'm about to witness to this person. I better get a hold of myself because they have formed ideas about Jesus whom I'm going to present by what I'm doing. That's what's happening. And I want to present him rightly. And I want to present him rightly in our worship. But here's what's amazing to me. We want to present God and his glory through the preeminence of Christ in worship. But here's what Jesus says. I'm there with you. I'm leading you. I'm speaking to you. And one day, I'll present you to my Father. Jesus will present me to the Father. How can I not come to worship Him? Be gathered by Him. Be led in singing as He sings over us with Him. How can I not? This is the one who will present me to the Father. May I hear that voice? Hear that trumpet. But until that day, I can hear his voice in the gathered worship. And I believe when this lays hold of your heart, the most soul-stirring, heart-scintillating, life-shaking moment in your life will be that moment each Lord's Day. Jesus through his appointed servant, says to you, Oh, come, let us worship the Lord our God. Let's pray. I'll just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. You may be here today and say, Pastor, I've, I need to commit my life to Jesus. Folks, when we stand in just a moment for the benediction, there will be folks up here that you can talk with and be glad to talk and pray with you. Or, Pastor, I know Jesus, but I've just got some issues in my heart, and I'm so grateful I'm with the family today. And we can handle these things together. I want to pray with someone today. Well, they're there to pray with you. But know this, your Savior is here today. And if you're not yet saved, he's calling you. If you are saved, he has spoken to you. He is leading you. He has gathered you. And he is preparing you to present you to the Father. Father, the children you gave me, they're washed, they're clothed. 
they're yours. And I have lost not one of them. Jesus, I thank you so much that you came to us, became one of us, died for us. You gather us, you lead us, you speak to us, you will present us. I pray with thanksgiving in your name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.